We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Welcome again this evening. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, please, in chapter 23. Matthew and chapter 23. A real prophetic passage here in this in its style or genre with the Lord calling out woe upon woe to those who are false teachers, um, fake shepherds, to his people, Israel. And uh, the Lord is, we actually went over uh, the pronouncement to the people that he made in the early part of the chapter where he told the people to listen to what the Pharisees and scribes said if it was lining up with Moses and they were you know, sitting in Moses' seat and they had that office, so there was some respect due to them. But uh, you know, don't do as they do, as we commonly say. Their works are done to be seen by people. They don't uh, have a real religion in their hearts, real faith. And we're going to see more about that this evening. In verses 13 through 36, the, the Bible talks about the eight woes that are pronounced by Jesus on these scribes and Pharisees. Scribes, experts in the law, they were scribes in the sense that they were kind of like lawyers, uh, writers, commenters, uh, supposedly experts on the law, but they were not, that wasn't in their heart. And uh, so thus their work was academic in nature. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between an academic theologian and a pastoral theologian. Somebody who is just in it for the technicalities and the education and the, you know, the uh, accolades of uh, colleagues and writing papers and new ideas and things like that. That's a totally different ballgame than somebody who wants to uh, live for the Lord. And so... In any case, we looked at the first two or four, rather, of these woes. The first of one is in verse 13. They close the door of the kingdom of God to, to others. They do that by their false teaching, uh, just like today when people knock at your door and want to bring false teaching. What they're doing is they're asking you to open their door so that they can close the door in the kingdom of heaven for you if they're from the cults. And we want to uh, be very cognizant of that, of course. These people... Uh, were doing this to the Jewish nation, closing the door to the kingdom to them by not preaching the true faith and the gospel of God's grace. The second woe is in verse number 14. Uh, it was a great condemnation because of their devouring widows' houses and for a pretense making long prayers. We looked at this uh, because it, although is questioned in its position here in Matthew 23, verse 14, it is clearly taught in 1240 of Mark and Luke 2047, and so we need to uh, address the topic that is addressed by the Lord here. We did that. We was, went on to woe number three, where the Lord says that 
in verse 15, they were making sons of hell. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? And indeed it is, and it was. They uh, thought well of themselves that they were doing missionary work, but they were not actually doing good work at all. They were misleading people away from the faith. And really this, this point kind of connects to the previous one, you know, closing the door of the kingdom, making sons of condemnation uh, as well. And then number four, the, the fourth woe was a little different because it started with the phrase, woe to you blind guides. And we uh, pondered what it meant to be a blind guide, not physically blind, but spiritually blind. Of course, in life, if you want somebody to show you around someplace, it should be somebody who can physically see. In spiritual life, if you want somebody who can guide you well and show you around, they need to be able to have spiritual sight, regardless of whether they have physical sight or not. And so these fellows are blind guides, and the Lord calls out their deceptive uh, oath-making in verses 16 to 22, and they basically had this kind of uh, convention uh, practice that was like our, you know, cross your fingers when you make a, a promise so it doesn't mean what you say it means. Um, not cross your heart. Remember that one too. But this, you know, that means you really, really are going to keep the vow. It's just foolishness. But uh, they had that kind of practice. If they made an oath by some object, then the oath would count. And if they made an oath by another object, then the oath would not count. And uh, so they did this for some, you know, to gain some advantage. The Lord calls them fools for this. They do not fear God. They are uh, just dumb, just dumb. You know, looking from the outside as a Christian person, you see people who do this sort of stuff and you just say, why are they doing it? It's so totally destructive, totally destructive. Um. And you would never advise somebody to do that behavior. I was thinking about this in a context today of, um, you know, the schools and what they're encouraging with boys and girls and gender and all this stuff. And I, I thought of another illustration. I mean, would, would it be okay, would it be seen to be acceptable if the schools went around to their classes and they encouraged children to learn how to smoke cigarettes? a very damaging kind of behavior. Um, no, obviously everybody would say that's wrong, wouldn't they? That's minor in comparison to what some places are teaching children today to do. Blind guides, false teachers, they deserve woes as well. A bunch of hypocrites, fools, not fearing the Lord. But when you look at that kind of situation from the outside or from, let's say, God's perspective, why are you going around school classrooms teaching middle schoolers to smoke cigarettes? In my hypothetical example, why are you doing that? It is dumb. It's so dumb, it's obvious. But yet, why is it not obvious to those people that are doing it? Darkness. Darkness has swallowed up their minds. Well, the Lord undercuts these people in uh, Matthew chapter 23. And then he moves on to woe number five. This is where we ended uh, last time. Woe number five is in chapter 23, verse 23 and verse 24, where it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay 
tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And here those weightier matters are justice and mercy and truth, sorry, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. The hypocritical scribes and Pharisees concerned themselves with all kinds of minutiae but somehow were able to work it out in their minds that they could ignore the weightier matters of the law. One example the Lord gives is that they would give a tithe of very small herbs. And he lists three of them, mint, anise, and cumin. Now, do we know what mint is? We're all there, little mint leaves. What about anise? I don't know about all that stuff. Cumin, you've heard of that, okay. Um, cumin is kind of in a powdery form, isn't it? Am I right about that? What's that? Like curry. Like curry. Yeah. yeah, so it's got a kind of a yellowish or orangish cast to it. These were little insignificant. You know, I mean, you don't buy, well, at least we don't buy cumin in like, you know, humongous containers or, you know, can you imagine like a gallon jar of mint? It's a little bit much, maybe. Uh, very small. But the leaders in Israel put great emphasis on them as a show of their religious activity, not on the, the items as much as their tithing of them. But at the same time, they ignored the most important matters of the law. Okay, take justice, which the Lord talks about, and compare that to a small tithe of mint leaves. Justice and mint leaves. Okay, how many mint leaves are you going to have? Some handful, some little container, and you're to take 10% of that. And they're going to worry about that, but they're not going to consider justice. So they'll, they'll tithe their mint, and they'll do some court proceeding that's totally unjust, and put some person out of the synagogue or take their money away or steal some widow's house or something like that. Or take mercy. Compare that to a little palm full of anise. Or faith. Compared to a dash of cumin. What are they doing? Let's look at Zechariah 7 just for a moment. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Well, that hit it. Justice, mercy, compassion. Don't oppress the widow. These guys are guilty of all of that stuff. Or let's go back to Micah. Familiar verse, Micah chapter 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These are big picture items that the Pharisees were totally missing. They stole widows' houses, they lied in their oaths, they directed people away from the kingdom of God, but 
counted out 10% of their tiny herbs. The Lord says that they should have kept their tithes, but also, and more importantly, they should have obeyed the bigger matters of the law, caring for both. This does not mean the smaller can be left out necessarily, but making the small big and the big small is the problem. Now, I've used this principle here where he says that you should not have, uh, you should have done these bigger things and not left the others undone. I've used that to say, for example, that big Bible doctrines are important for us to hold on to, but that doesn't mean that we can take some and stuff them into a third or fourth level importance box and kind of forget about them. It does not mean we treat smaller issues as unimportant. We must do our level best to believe and obey all of the word in its proper proportion. And then when I think about proportionality, I begin to think, well, that reminds me of the idea of priorities. You have to fill up your life with the priority things first and not leave them for last. That's why you should start probably your day by reading your scriptures. Otherwise, by the end of the day, you'll realize, "Uh uh-oh, it didn't didn't uh, get done. It didn't get done. I did not do it. Not it didn't get done. That passive, like somehow it didn't happen. It was a mystical thing that, that forced me to not do it. No, I did not do it. The illustration of you have important things are like big rocks. You have a big jar with a little mouth, you know, a wide mouth at the top. And if you want to fill up your life, you're going to take the little sand and dust and keep filling it in. If you do that, pretty soon you're not going to have any room for the rocks. What you do first is you put the rocks in the jar, then you fill up with the sand all the gaps that are left. That's a good illustration, I think, of what we should be doing with our priorities, Um, not filling up our life with sand, with useless, stupid activities, but important things, important parts of life, and then fill in the little gaps, the entertainment and the things like that later on. Another illustration then that the Lord used to explain the problem with these blind guides is that they, they want to strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Now, somebody uh, indicated that it was Actually, it could have been the case that they would be concerned that they don't drink a drink if there's a, you know how it is when you go to a picnic, right, and there's going to be some gnat or something that falls into your cup and you're going to get it out of there or you just throw the whole thing out and get a new cup or whatever. Well, they would filter their drink through a a cloth or something to make sure they don't have any unclean animals in their Drink. So they filter out a gnat or strain out a gnat. Now, uh, the King James, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, I'm sure. This, the King James says you strain at a gnat. Mistake in the translation. It's strain out or filter out through a filter. It's not strain at a gnat. But um, They were concerned about this inconsequential matter, yet they swallowed the camels of lying and false teaching, perhaps adultery, greed, mistreating widows, 
Obviously, this is a hyperbolic statement about camels because they didn't literally swallow a camel, but they accepted the humongous, terrible behavior of all those sins that the Lord is is uh, talking about here, while at the same time insisting on the heavy burden of filtering out every possible trace of an unclean gnat that makes no difference in one's relationship with God. Yes. Yes, yeah, a camel was an unclean animal. Uh, why is that? If you go back in the law, you'll see, uh, well, the camels chew cud, don't they? But they had, do they have a, a, a unitary hoof? A cloven hoof? Yeah. Like a paw? Okay, well, anyways, uh, nobody would be eating camel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the swallow these whole things, you know, just, just crazy stuff. Woe number six, verses 25 and 26. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside of them may be clean also. Now, here we have an illustration of cleaning your dishes, but it's not, not an illustration that can, you can take too far. In cleaning our dishes, of course, we want to put them either in the dishwater and work on them or put them in the dishwasher and have the machine do the work, and then when we pull them out, they're maybe nice and warm and shiny, that's a problem, right? If you have cloudy dishes, you know, that's not nice, but it's not a huge deal. But the worst is when the dishwasher hasn't functioned properly or you left something in the sink for a day or two and it's all crusty and hard and the dishwasher can't take all the stuff off and you pull it out, you're like, I wouldn't want to eat out of that thing. So then you soak it some more and you have to clean it and, and get it the way that it needs to be. Um, the, the, it's a similar theme as to what was before. There's uncleanness through, through and through in these Pharisees and scribes. Uh, um, they were full of sin on the inside, but somewhat nicely decorated on the outside. You know, they probably had their vestments and their religious garb and looked all official and everything. The dish represents the life of a Pharisee or a scribe. Uh, you know, the dish or the cup. It's like wiping the outside of the cup or bowl, making it look nice and shiny, but leaving all the crusty food particles inside of it for the next person to use the dish that way. Yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Their lives were full of extortion and self-indulgence. Did you see that? Inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Those are the crusty, nasty food particles that are there inside of the dish. They played life to fulfill their sensual desires and their greed. They were robbers, plunderers. They lacked self-control. They were full of those evil qualities. So it's not even like the, the, the dishwasher did anything. Everything is still there, the nasty stuff. I mean, it's not even like you know they dumped out the excess into the trash before they put it into the dishwasher. They're full of that. And all of this put them on the other side of the ledger against God. They were not pleasing to the Lord in their behavior whatsoever. And so the Lord told them, what did he tell them to do? Cleanse what? The inside of the cup 
in the dish, and then the outside would become clean as well. Now, in a dishwasher illustration fashion here, if you pull the dish out of the dishwasher and the, we'll say the operative parts of the dish were clean, you might consider using it, even if there's a little stain on the outside. Okay. And automatically it doesn't, you know, cleaning the inside doesn't mean that the outside will be clean, although probably in many cases that's the case. If the inside where all the food stuff was is clean, probably the outside will be clean too. But in life, unlike the dishwashing illustration, when you concern yourself with cleaning the inside of your life, the outside takes care of itself, doesn't it? Hopefully. There's a feature there to inner purity which oozes out of your life naturally. You don't want to do things that are sinful things inside, and so you don't do them on the outside. But if you have a dirty inside, sinful inside, you must work doubly hard to to keep the outside clean for appearance's sake. So when when the inside is dirty, it oozes out from inside and makes the outside dirty, so you have to keep on cleaning. You know what I'm saying? What comes from within a man's heart, that is what defiles him, the Bible says in Matthew 15, 18 to 20. Defilement comes from within, not from without. So somebody who has a a sick mind could be spewing out sick speech all the time. They're getting dirty on the outside because they're dirty on the inside. But with God's Spirit dwelling in you and cleaning you from the inside, you will not have to really worry about the outside. Certainly, you'll need to repent and confess and apologize for sins done outwardly in the body, but that will become an anomaly, not a normal pattern of life. You will not have to make excuses and lie and cover up and be a a hypocrite and all of that because you're wearing a mask trying to hide what you really are. Outside, here's the truth again, outside cleanliness comes naturally with inside purity. Inside purity drives outward cleanliness. That is, inside purity drives outward purity. Do you have things in your life that you're trying to hide? Are you lying like the Pharisees, being hypocritical and trying to cover it up so others cannot see? Are you mainly concerned with outward appearances and how people, that people will think well of you? Are you full of qualities on the inside like these Pharisees, like you have no self-control, full of anger, greed, and the like? Or are you mainly concerned with purity in your inward parts, moral purity? What do you want more, a clean reputation or a clean conscience? A clean reputation or a clean conscience? Well, there are two more woes, and if I keep going, then you're going to pronounce a woe on me. So what I'll do is I'll just mention, uh, the Lord talks about more uncleanness within in woe number seven, and then he uh, has a lengthy section in woe number eight about them being murderers of the prophets, and uh, we'll have to get into that. And We're going to see an interesting thing about a fellow named Zechariah there. And then we have to go to Jesus' lamentation in verses 37 to 39 
that ends the chapter, but this uh, seems to me is going to have to wait until the Lord's Day evening as we have further opportunity. So we've been able to cover two more woes here and the last two next time. Let's pray. Father, help us as we think of this idea of keeping the weightier matters of the law and not leaving the others undone, not swallowing camels while we strain at little gnats, (laughs) strain out little gnats. And uh, Lord, I pray too that you would help us as we think of this issue of the, the cup and the dish. God, I ask that your spirit would work in each person's heart here, those listening and demand of us to answer the question, is the inside of the cup and dish clean? Or are we just working hard to make the outside look good? And Lord, help inner purity to drive outer cleanliness. Help us to recognize if we have self-indulgence, lack of self-control, greed, anger, lust, and all kinds of things in the inside that needs to be, that need to be dealt with. Help us to know, Lord God, that you see that just as if it were on the outside. It's like we would be kind of folded inside out. You can see what we're like on the inside just as well as we can see what's on the outside. And I pray that your Spirit will convict us if we need in whatever area that is. Let us not be fake imposters, hypocrites, wearing the mask. But let us just be genuine and true. And not only genuine and true, but genuine and true is driven by the morality and the spirit of God, the truth of God, with your spirit truly working in us. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.